welcome to Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star, a young adult literature podcast, their film and television adaptations, and everything in between. I'm Joe. And I'm Brenna Spice. <laughs> and our show is located on the ancestral lands of the Haudenosaunee, the Huron-Wendat, and the Anishinaabe on lands connected to the Toronto Purchase Treaty 13 of 1805. And on the Tecumseh Te Sequetan territory within the unceded traditional lands of Sequetan Ulu. And today's text, Spice World, is set in the UK. So, no territorial acknowledgement today. That said, Joe, it was part of the Cool Britannia moment of the late 1990s, which was, of course, a colonialist nightmare. We won't talk about that today, <laughs> but I just feel like it needs to be acknowledged. Fair, fair, fair. <laughs> when the world is in trouble, when our future is in danger, we call upon one man. But when he's busy, he calls five girls. Columbia Pictures presents The Spice Girls. All right, we're coming. In their film debut, Victoria, Emma, Mel B, Jerry, and Mel C. They're ready for action. Go, power! They're dressed to kill. Do all that shaking or stirred? And thoroughly prepared for any encounter. It's a story of love. I think with boys, you should be able to just wheel them in. Yeah, and order them like a pizza. Yeah, no cheese. Compassion. It's really too hot in here. I need a fan. Misunderstanding. When the speeding melon hits the wall. Yay! It's Christmas for the crows. What did he say? I haven't a clue. And Brenna, I should let you know that we actually have a very special guest star joining us for this episode. <gasps> it was my first time watching Spice World, so I wanted to have someone who absolutely loved this movie to join us. So I'm pleased to welcome my good friend Bobby Torres. Hi, Bobby. Hey, hey, hey. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to talk about this movie with you guys. <laughs> Yay! I'm oh so glad gosh. you're here because I need another unabashed fan. I feel like Joe feels like he's been hit by a Mack truck of Spice Girls <laughs> for this week. Or maybe a Spice Bus. Yes. I was going to say that. A Spice Bus. <laughs> <laughs> the best. I cannot believe that this movie is 25 years old, which is part of the reason why we're covering it right now. Yes, this Christmas will mark 25 years since Spice World was released, at least in the UK. It came out, I mm -hmm. think, Super Bowl weekend in the US in 1998. But yes, so it has been around for a while. It is definitely a cult classic. And I think for a particular generation of not just young girls, but I think especially young girls, this movie has a lot of fond memories. Mm -hmm. And also queer men. <laughs> and also that <laughs> absolutely <yes. laughs> so we'll just acknowledge that the screenplay was written by kim fuller and the movie is directed by bob spears and of course yes it stars all five of the spice girls as well as pretty much every uk cameo they could squeeze into this including people like elton john richard e grant as clifford the girl's manager we've got roger moore as the head of their record label uh, Meatloaf is the bus driver, and of course, Alan Cumming as 
a sort of stalkery paparazzi guy. George went as a Hollywood tycoon who wants to pitch a movie starring the girls, which of course is very meta. And that's really what this movie is in a mm-hmm. nutshell. It's uh, just very self-referential, a very wink, wink, nudge, nudge. And of course, Joe, we have to say the CanCon shout out that Mark McKinney is the writer of this movie. Is he? I have like, Kim Fuller. No, Mark McKinney is the writer of the movie within the movie. He's the one. Oh, the movie with. within the movie. There we go. <laughs> yes. <Okay>. Yes. <laughs> so I want to, can I say a few things about Bob Spears before we get into talking about it? Because I think there's a reason this movie is so unhinged. Oh, <laughs> and, I, okay. and I think it's Bob Spears. Okay. So the first thing that's important for everyone to know is that Bob Spears didn't know who the Spice Girls were when he signed on to make this movie. What? He had never heard of them. <laughs> so that's the first important part. The second important part is that he's the director of shows like Faulty Towers, mm. Absolutely Fabulous, like big, broad British comedies that dabble in the surreal. That's like his whole background. And so you add to that the fact that like the Spice Girls were getting more and more and more famous as mm-hmm. the movie was in production and more and more people wanted to be added as cameos. And so they just kept writing more and more cameo roles in until you basically have a movie that is a series of incoherent cameos, like tied together with string. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I love it. <laughs> it's definitely wild. Um, I saw a lot of people compare this movie to Head, which is uh, the Monkeys movie. And having seen that in college, I realized, oh, okay, that's very much the vibe. It doesn't entirely connect with me because I like a narrative and I like a character <laughs> arc. And that's not Boring. what this movie is interested in doing. <laughs> but Bobby, I'm I'm interested as our special guest. Do you have a history with this film? Like, did you watch it young and you just grew to love it more? Or did you catch it late and you were just like, what is this? It's wild. <laughs> no, it was 100% uh, grown up listening to the Spice Girls. I was a fan as a young kid and you know i feel like it was part of my gay awakening i don't Mm -hmm. understand how my mom didn't know i was a gay man like i asked for the albums and i got two (laughs) both of them for christmas Mm -hmm. um unfortunately i never seen the movie in theaters but i got it when it was out on vhs and i was obsessed like i knew the movie was trash then but i didn't care because i loved the spice girls (laughs) (laughs) so goofy Yeah, I do feel like if you are a fan of them and they're kind of like big oversized personalities, this movie will be entertaining. Like, I I will say I was overwhelmed and never bored watching this. (laughs) Oh, yeah. That's one thing I will say. Watch this movie. You will never be bored. (laughs) Never. (laughs) Well, I mean, literally, like the characters on screen change every three minutes like maximum like you're always back into like a new fantasy moment or a mm-hmm. flashback or a dream sequence and there <laughs> there's some like extremely famous person cameoing in that role and it's just like yeah i mean you could be a lot of things when you watch this movie but you're both right bored is not one of them <laughs> So, Brenda, there is technically a bare bones plot. Do you want to try to step people through it in case they have not seen Spice World? (laughs) Yes. Okay. So, absolutely. (laughs) Um, The basic arc of the film is that the girls are preparing for their live concert at Royal Albert Hall, which, of course, is a big venerated venue in London. And 
The sort of weird part is that the band is simultaneously extremely famous, and also on more than one occasion we get told this will be their first ever live performance. So mm-hmm. I don't really understand what's <laughs> happening there, but it doesn't matter. So anyway, no. <laughs> <laughs> they're getting ready for their performance, but also there's all these other things happening in their personal life that's making it a lot harder for them to focus. For example, their very best friend, Nicola, is about to give birth, and so they want time to spend with her, but mean Clifford won't let them have a social life or time with her. Instead, he's very adamant about this performance at Albert Hall because he's trying to please his own boss. Ooh, I gotta say, that that storyline <laughs> with Nicola, I was just like, why is this in here? <laughs> it's true, but it keeps coming back. Yeah. Well, Nicola's there to remind them of what's truly important, Joe. Girl power friendship. and friendship. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's what we're here for. Um, so... You know, there's like an ongoing kind of flashback to like where the Spice Girls come from, which I, of course, love because the Spice Girls were an entirely manufactured singing group. So mm-hmm. there is no origin story, but we're constructing one for the film. Their desire to be where Nicola needs them to be, to please Clifford, and also to find their own freedom in social life results in a lot of things like a high-speed boat chase where where two children fall in the Thames. Um, yes. A fantastic bus chase scene where the bus (laughs) leaps over the tower bridge when it's open in probably some of the best special effects we've seen to date on this show (laughs) oh absolutely yeah there's nothing fake about it not a pixel in sight (laughs) (laughs) um (laughs) there's a bomb on the bus for reasons reasons (laughs) there's no reason I love that the film acknowledges that it's so inconsequential that the explosion happens at the end of the film off screen. (laughs) It's Um, so wild. The girls finally do arrive to perform at Albert Hall, but they're charged by a policeman with dangerous driving, among other charges. But they do get broadcast live on global television, and they're very, very successful the end. That's the movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you've left out 95% of it (laughs) and covered basically the beginning and end. (laughs) Well, nothing in the middle connects to the actual plot. That's the problem with giving a plot synopsis. I mean, there's an encounter with aliens. Uh Like, why? why? (laughs) I love that scene so much because it's just so random. Like, like what and clearly you can just tell the the aliens are wearing masks because there's one part where ginger is giving the alien a kiss you actually see the mask kind of go like go in mm-hmm. and i'm just like, like clearly this is a mask oh i love um so i read this oral history about how the film came to be that was published on vice mm-hmm. and one of the things that they talk about in there is like bob spears was so used to making shows for the bbc and like just having the BBC plot, like, um, prop warehouse to his Mm, disposal. mm -hmm. So he just always, like, he never planned ahead. And so he was always just used to, like, finding what he needed. And apparently, like, the day before they had to shoot that scene, someone was like, did anybody tell set design to make a spaceship? And everybody was like, (laughs) no. (laughs) So they had to, like, throw together a spaceship with, like, things that they found around the set. So it's actually made up of, like, light rigging and, like, Mm -hmm. blankets, basically. I just love it. Checks out. Yeah. (laughs) It didn't look too bad. Whereas in, like, a regular production, you know, you would say, oh, well, maybe we should go through the script and see do we even need this scene? Because does it play into anything or could we just 
shoot something else. (laughs) If you asked this movie, Joe, do we need this scene? The movie would be two and a half minutes long. (laughs) I will say what surprised me was that this movie has a budget of $25 million. And it was very, very successful. Because as you said, Brenna... This is at the height of the Spice Girls phenomenon, right? Like, it's in between their first and second album. I was very perplexed to see that they hadn't written the songs for the movie. Like, I thought that they had already gotten all the songs and that they were just going to, like, put them into the film. And it was shocking to learn that they were actually writing them as the movie was in production. So they were like, oh, I guess we need to have all this music ready or else the movie can't proceed slash oh my gosh but um yeah it was shocking to me that this movie cost 25 million dollars because there's almost nothing to it and it does look really cheap yeah it looks amazingly cheap i would love to know what they spent the money on i i mean maybe meatloaf needed like five million to agree to be in it i don't know (laughs) i was gonna say the cameos maybe The Spice Bus itself. I have to think that people just wanted (laughs) into this movie like i don't imagine they paid elton john to show up Unless it was like, oh, we'll fly you over or something. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, wait, did I lose them both? No, we just, we have no answers. (laughs) No, I have no answer to that. Um, No, but it's a good point, right? Like I, you do watch it and you assume it's a very small budget production. And I wonder if it's one of those things where like when they started, they had like no sense of how big the spice girls were going to be so maybe it was just like the spice girls cost more by the end of the production i don't know but it's very strange because yes like we can't overstate if you've never seen it how cheap almost every scene looks including sets that they are in all the time like the interior of their bus Mm -hmm. oh yeah definitely and i actually caught like watching this uh to prepare for this episode um they were wearing some of the same clothes in different scenes but they were like different scenes like it was actually when they were rehearsing for one of their songs i think say you'll be there but when they flew over to italy to sing the other song they were wearing some of them were wearing the same outfits i'm just like what Mm -hmm. like Mel B was wearing that astronaut suit, but she was wearing it in the beginning of the film. I'm just like, wait, what? <laughs> What's going on? So they must have filmed both of those scenes at that like same time or the same day. It's it's not a film that feels like a tremendous amount of care was taken in the production of it. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like everybody seems like they are having a really good a lot time. Of fun. Yep. And if you read like stories of people behind the scenes, it does seem like everybody was having a hilariously good time um but i think that yeah in general like continuity and editing are not not a special strengths of the film really um but it makes it more i don't know there's always something very approachable about the spice girls as a brand considering that they were like a manufactured pop act like mm-hmm. i'm not saying they didn't have gloss because obviously they did but the way they were marketed you know you were supposed to kind of find yourself in one of the spice girls they all had a personality <laughs> with the exception of poor ginger spice who was just ginger <laughs> don't you know your hair color can be your personality brenna <laughs> but you were supposed to identify with the girls and i think there's something about the film's carelessness i guess mm-hmm. that i also feel very much like it feels like i could make this movie and for some reason i'm charmed by that and not turned <laughs> off by it and i don't really know why <laughs> well i think it doesn't 
feel like a sellout film, right? Like so often everything feels manufactured within an inch of its life because we're trying to protect the brand and the reputation of the artist. You know, I'm I'm thinking of even concert docs where we're not really getting into the nitty gritty of the artist's personal life or truth telling unless that is literally the purpose of the doc. And here this kind of feels like we made this thing, even though you're literally the biggest pop stars on the planet right now, but we just kind of threw a bunch of ideas against the wall, and we're going to shoot them, and it's going to be fun, and then we'll make a boatload of money off of it. <laughs> there is a sequel in the works. Did you guys see that when you were prepping for today? I mean, I believe it when I see it. It's going to yeah. be a Paramount Plus animated sequel where the girls come back as superheroes. Wait. No, I did yes. not hear it. Yes, I will watch it 10 times. <laughs> it will have better production values than this live action film. <laughs> Literally impossible not to. I would love to see them back as like themselves, though. Like I'm here for the animated version, but I would sure. like to see them back. Me too. Mm-hmm. There's something about all of them that I find so charming, and it's so outside of the realm of what I usually enjoy in my media that I can't really explain it, except that they are all very magnetic. Mm-hmm. And there's something too about the plot line of them just trying to get away from the fame that is encroaching upon them. And I just imagine, you know, them making it as they are becoming like increasingly less able to sort of exist in the world as normal people. There's there's a certain synchronicity there that I find, I don't know, I think I find the whole thing very charming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, same here. So, Brenna, you said everyone was meant to find themselves in one of the five. So I'm curious, Bobby, do you have one of the girls that you identify more with? Um, I don't really. I would say probably now I'm more of a posh. But when I was younger, mm-hmm. I would say more of a a, a scary or baby because those were my two and are my two favorite Spice Girls. But now that I'm a little older, um, I feel myself more like a Paw Spice. (laughs) (laughs) And Bretta, what about you? I definitely gravitated to Baby Spice when I was younger, but Mm -hmm. now I really, I like Jerry Hallowell like as a person. And when I watched the film this time, I had a new appreciation for Ginger Spice. And I love that she's the brainy one in the film. Yes. (laughs) Yes, me too. (laughs) I caught that on this watch because obviously I watched this movie a handful of times, but watching, I'm like, she's actually quite intelligent or maybe Mm -hmm. just know a lot of things that she, that nobody actually really cares about. Cause you know, when she talk about like manta rays and, you know, (laughs) animals in the woods, you know, maiden and stuff, all the girls roll their eyes like, girl, shut up. But (laughs) she's actually pretty knowledgeable. Yeah. Yeah. There's like, there's a scene where she's teaching one of the other Spice Girls how to play chess and stuff. And it's just fantastic. (laughs) It's great. Yeah, I I have the same affinity. Uh, so I definitely preferred Baby Spice more. But as I've gotten older, I prefer Jerry. I think one of the things that I found funny was not just the fact that she is the smart one of the group, but also there's I mean, this movie doesn't have quite as many innuendos as I expected. I think if it had been made even a decade later, we would have gotten a lot more sexualized mm-hmm. jokes. Mm-hmm. But I did think it was funny that there is a certain amount of slut shaming, but specifically just with Jerry Hallowell. Yes. <laughs> yeah. The scene in particular where they're in a hospital and 
the a couple come up to them and say, "Hey, my son, you know, he's on conscious. I want to know if you can talk to them." Mm-hmm. And I think I forgot one of the Spice Girls make a comment saying, "Oh, well, if you take your top off, maybe he'll open his eyes." <laughs> yeah. And she said, "Well, it wouldn't help anyway because his eyes and his eyes opened up." So they kind of like do sexualize her in that way. Yeah, it's very it's very weird. <laughs> <laughs> I will say my favorite scene that I thought had the kind of like most playful energy, but also felt most appropriate for this kind of movie was where they do the photo shoot, but they rebel against yes. their predefined roles. So they yes. each decide they're going to wear the clothes of another member. And I was just like, oh, this is fun. Like, this is the kind of montage that I yearn for in movie musicals. And it honestly did feel like they were just having so much fun to the point where it could have been an unscripted moment for me. Yeah, I really love the way they sort of pretend to be each other in that scene too and like pretend at the persona. But then at the end, they're like, because that comes after a scene where Sporty Spice is like, why does everybody think we're such stereotypes right Mm -hmm. after you see each of them like doing their most stereotypical thing? Yes. And then they all want to return back to their original wardrobes, except for Ginger Spice, who really is finally comfortable (laughs) for like the first time in her life in the Sporty Spice costume. I love it. I think also that was a bit more of the smart kind of British humor that I was expecting from the film. So as much as I, as I said, I was never bored. I was often overwhelmed. I I wanted more of that kind of smart humor. And I don't know if it was just that the film doesn't always trust the girls because they're singers, they're not actors. And obviously, even though they're playing themselves, they are playing heightened versions of themselves. But I, I wish that the film had have done more of these kinds of things as opposed to feeling like they needed to pad it with some of the other content that just doesn't feel as relatable. I think a good example of that kind of scene working really well, and I think you're right about trusting the cast because it's a scene that the Spice Girls aren't in at all, but it's one where we have the manager and his assistant at the bar, Mm -hmm. and Elvis Costello is in a cameo as the bartender. (laughs) Yes. And they they keep talking about like people who release one single and then disappear forever, and then Elvis Costello keeps like coming up to almost say something to them, and then... Anyway, it's just, it's a perfect moment. It's exactly that kind of balance. It's also like an in-joke moment. Like Mm -hmm. you have to know who Elvis Costello is for that scene to be funny. But I think it works really well. And yeah, you're right that there's space for more of that in the film. And when they let you have it, it's really good. Like you can see the comedy chops of Bob Spears when those moments are allowed to unfold. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Bobby, do you have a favorite moment or sequence? I mean, I have plenty. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be here all day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, you know, I won't go through them all. But obviously one of them is when they decide to, you know, rebel against Clifford and they go to, I guess, the gay club to take Nicola out. That was a fun right. moment. But one of the best moments to me and the funniest moments is when um, Nicola starts having contractions and they're on a bus. So they think that she's having a baby on the bus. So <laughs> Jerry's just like, all right, I know all about this or whatever. And he's just like, girl, no, you don't. And it was like, all right, just close your legs. And Mel B is like, oh, you should have did that nine months ago. <laughs> <laughs> so rude. I right. gasped at that. <laughs> <laughs> and then Posh was just like, oh, well, it's not like it's going to have anywhere to go. She got on fishnets or something on her stockings. I'm just like, these, some of these jokes actually do really well with the Spice Girls. I just wish they let them play more along with their dialogue in the film because, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of jokes now that I caught on to that I didn't catch on to before. And now I'm I'm an adult. I'm just like, okay, I get that humor where before I didn't. Right. So I appreciate it a lot more now. Did you guys have a favorite cameo moment? 
I feel like you're you're asking a leading question because you maybe have one. I have two favorites, actually. <laughs> okay, well, why don't you start us off? And if we can think of one, we will. Okay, so I love Stephen Fry as the judge who doesn't know any of their names in one mm-hmm. of the fantasy sequences. He keeps calling them Melvin, Melvin. B and yes. Melvin C and Gary, and it <laughs> cracks me up every time. It's such a stupid joke, but it cracks me up every <laughs> single time. There's something also always like... Anytime Stephen Fry makes a really silly joke, I find it extra funny because he's Stephen Fry and he's so smart. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that works for me really well. And I love Hugh Laurie in the like detective scene when he keeps getting distracted by Baby Spice. I also really love that scene. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very weird moment because I feel like it has a lot of highlights, but it also doesn't have a good payoff. Like it just kind of ends. <laughs> Yes. Well, actually, it's kind of the same as true for the Stephen Fry cameo. I think actually that's true for a lot of cameos. It's like they knew one joke Mm -hmm. to do with each celebrity, but they didn't really know how they were stitching it all together. So yeah, payoff is thin on the ground. (laughs) Uh, I enjoyed the moment that Jennifer Saunders shows up because obviously she's Jennifer Saunders. And I think part of it is I think it could have been better if they had have let her do more interaction with the Spice Girls. Like, it's really just she pops up, she says something, she disappears. But uh, it was a fun thing that also feels like a missed opportunity. Uh, One of my favorite um, cameos is really quick, but it was one of like the sequences where Bob Hoskins from (laughs) Who Framed Roger Rabbit (laughs) (laughs) Ginger, you know, goes inside the telephone booth and she comes out and he's pretty much just like, you know, saying her dialogue as her voice. Mm -hmm. So that part just cracks me up every time because it's so random. Like, how did they get him to come on here? Right. It's just like, what? (laughs) But I love it. I think I have to say, and the Bob Hoskins example, like, it clicks into it for me. I think part of my enjoyment of this film is just an unabashed joy of, like, the late 90s mm, and the kind of mm-hmm. silliness of, I don't know, like, a lot of people have written about how the late 90s, that immediate pre-9-11 period, like, the culture was just in this very sort of playful place. And so you get a lot of fun <laughs> movies coming out in that moment um but there's so much in the film that is so 1997 and also like what got cut if you read about that like there were a whole bunch of princess diana jokes that they oh, had to cut yeah. because she died like two months before it came out there were a whole bunch of versace jokes that had to be cut for the same reason and it's just like so 1997 that there were that many diana and versace jokes that it like they had to go back in and recut a part of the film. Like, I don't know, when I read stories like that, I just think about how how much sort of silly fun, how much space there was for that in that particular cultural moment. And it also aligns with my early teen years, which are a particularly kind of carefree time too, right? So that mm-hmm. probably has a lot to do with it. But yeah, there's something about this film that you can't not be transported back into the late 90s when you watch it because from the fashion to the music right. it's just everywhere and to the like as i said off the top that kind of cool britannia ethos that was such a big deal in that moment like if you have any kind of nostalgia for the late 90s even if you weren't a spice girls fan this movie will pay off in that respect as well in terms of just being a good time mm-hmm. oh definitely yeah i will say one of the other fun things was i didn't know that alan cumming was in the movie so when he turns (laughs) up i was like wait so alan cumming is in a satirical movie musical about a pop band like a female fronted pop band so i'm 
choosing to treat Spice World as a precursor or a prequel to Josie and the Pussycats. I love that. (laughs) I love that they exist in the same universe. I think that's awesome. (laughs) Did you know that this is the highest grossing film about a band ever? Like higher than Hard Day's Night, higher than anything else? I never knew that. I think it's wild. It sort of makes sense to me, though, because if you think about it, we've got a lot of movies with uh, single artists who have and it's done very, very well. Like I was thinking like the Justin Bieber uh, doc or one of his like live concert films definitely grossed a hundred million dollars. So, but not ones about bands. And, and also if you're thinking about it, it's not the same to do a concert doc or even a documentary compared to having the artists actually act and have to like either play characters or a caricature of themselves. And I think one thing that is a strength of the film and we sort of teased it, if there's anything the film could have done, it was let this go further. But the girls are really good at playing caricatures of themselves. Like they don't take themselves seriously. There's no mm-hmm. sort of like, this is an attempt to make the world take the Spice Girls more seriously. It's mm-hmm. more like, look at us, we're having fun. You want to have fun too? Come be in our girl gang kind of thing. Um, and I really appreciated that. You know, this is <laughs> this is not 8 Mile, right? This is like... <laughs> Actually, that's a fantastic comparison. Yeah, 8 Mile. <laughs> Like, not even joking, because Oh, I thought seriously. you were making fun of me. <laughs> no, no, I, because I, I was trying to think of, like, okay, well, what's something else where somebody did something? And But that was, that was an attempt to be like, oh, this is sort of Marshall Mathers' real life, but with a slightly augmented twist, but also we got, like, a very celebrated, serious director to do it, and we want to try to get Oscars, and this is not that. Like, <laughs> Spice World is basically, like, our target demograph is preteen girls, and gays. Hey, Bobby. <laughs> um, <laughs> and and basically, we just want to make an entertaining movie that celebrates the thing that all of these fans love. And in that regard, I think they hit the mark and they also don't hit the mark. Like, this to me is such a weird piece of media where I think in some regards, they have made it too complicated for their teen audience and also not child friendly enough. Like, it's... It's an odd beast, I find. This was rated PG, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, it makes sense because, I mean, most of the, you know, Spice Girls fan base, like you said, is, you know, teenage girls, some boys as well. And, um, I mean, granted, again, like I said, when I watched this when I was younger, I didn't necessarily get all the jokes until now as an mm-hmm. adult. So, I mean, I guess it, it does have a lot to do with the writing as well. But I can't see it, like... If you was to tell me that Spice Girls was coming out with a movie, you know, back then, I'm going to be excited to see it. I'm not going to see it as, like, a super, like, kid-friendly rated G movie. Because mm-hmm. for some reason, again, I listened to their music. I was a fan. And some of their mu- some of their lyrics do have some sexual undertones into it if you oh, really boy. listen to it. To become one. Paging. Paging to become one. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's there, you know? So, I mean, I, I wouldn't expect a super kid-friendly movie from them. Yeah, that's fair. I do think it's interesting how well the jokes have aged from, like, a social justice perspective. Like, this was 1997, and um, there's not a lot of, like, queerphobic or transphobic humor here Mm -hmm. there's not a lot of racist jokes there's not there's no r words there's no like it's really interesting considering 
you know, Joe and I sometimes extend credit to films that we think might have done a better job in a more awakened time period. Mm-hmm. But but watching this film made, made me kind of second guess that because like there's none of that here. And I was really pleasantly surprised by that. Yeah. I mean, I I would have expected more of that like it was very much of the mid to late 90s mm-hmm. that we were doing particularly like racist and transphobic humor in films and to me the only glaring piece was actually a lyric from one of the songs so yes. it's not a joke but i'm just like oh the timbuktu reference yes, from spice yes. up your life i'm like nope that one's real bad now we don't do that <laughs> no it's wild that that moment stands out and i was reading this new york times piece I think it must have come out around the 20th anniversary. It was sort of a retrospective. Mm-hmm. And um, the writer of that, Eleanor Stanford, she wrote, you know, the Spice Girls were working in a very sexist system and making a lot of money off of it, but they were doing it slyly with a wink and a grin. They were, I think, misunderstood at the time. And I wonder if an irreverent, breezy group like theirs could even exist today. Ooh. And I definitely had that sense when I was watching it. Like, this could not happen now. And hmm. oh no, maybe that's okay. Maybe that's yeah. a good thing. Like, maybe it was its moment. But I do miss the slyness with which they seem to be approaching an industry that was setting out to exploit them, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wonder, like, collectively, if we put our heads together, can we think of a band that would be, A, willing to do this without wanting to make themselves look better, and B, would maybe create the kind of fervor that a Spice Girls movie created back in 97? Maybe a K-pop act, maybe? Uh, Go okay. for it, Bobby. Yeah. No, I was gonna say I I can't I can't think of because yeah. I'm I, I like girl groups, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, um, and I can't think of any group in general that would actually do something like this like right now. Yeah, not now. Like I I think if we go into the past, I could have imagined Destiny's Child doing mm-hmm. something like this if they had of had managers who were a little bit more comfortable with relinquishing some of that control. But the thing is, like, I feel like it depends on the artists themselves. Mm-hmm. Like, Spice Girls is known for their poppy, um, fun, celebrating uh, girl power type of right. music, where Destiny's Child music is a little bit different. So if they was to mm. do a, a movie, it would have a totally different tone than the Spice Girls would. <laughs> like, way different tone. Yeah, the the yeah. feminism angle would still be there, but I don't know that they would be comfortable just having, like pot shot kind of jokes and other celebrity cameos right (laughs) all the examples i can think of only go to as far as like the early 2000s like i'm thinking of and and there it's the same kind of like you know those disney kind of pop bands Mm. like a cheetah girls or something Mm -hmm. but uh yeah i think the difference here is that you know the cheetah girls are manufactured to be entertainment which obviously the spice girls are too but the spice girls are really making fun of themselves in this movie like like even posh is making fun of all the things that make her posh right Mm -hmm. um and i and i think that that willingness to be so well self-deprecating right like it's this weird blend of like that british surrealistness (laughs) and self-deprecation but with like a bonkers kind of global superstardom audience it's sort of i and maybe that's the part of it that makes it kind of unique to its moment either that or its location like brenna you said k-pop and then bobby and i both struggled to think of american versions but i was thinking back to okay well we had the monkeys and then we had the beatles with the hard day's night 
it seems like the successful model of this is coming from the UK. So maybe it's also having to be a UK comedic sensibility. Yeah, I think you might be right. I definitely think there's a lot of that here. Like I can see how if this wasn't the Spice Girls, if this was just like a random like fictional band or something, mm-hmm. I don't think it would have broken in the States because it no. is extremely weird. <laughs> <laughs> it is that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, why don't we play a quick round of YA bingo with Spice World? Bingo! Not a good bingo. Yay, Bobby. Um, Joe lets the guests go first because I get too excited about bingo and I fill up all the squares. So you should go first. <laughs> okay. Some of these are interested. Um, I see uh, CGI. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> There's great CGI in this movie. There's <laughs> <laughs> no CGI. <laughs> I mean, musicality has to be an obvious one, right? And montage, like montages for days. Like, is the movie not about 85% montages? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Silly ones. Silly ones at that. Um, there's also uh, magic slash supernatural. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, does it make sense? No. Is it in there? It, yes. Is it delightful? Yes, Joe. Yes, it is. <laughs> Obviously, I'm going to give one to good friendships because um, girl power. Right. Yes, mm-hmm. of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got a female screenwriter. No, we don't, Joe. <laughs> is Kid Fuller not a girl? Kim Fuller is a boy. <laughs> um, he's the brother of Simon Fuller, who created American Idol, and he's the writer of From Justin to Kelly. So he has he is no stranger to bad music movies. <laughs> also, he did the S Club Seven movie. <laughs> Oh, boy. A deep I love you, Kim Fuller. I love you so much. (laughs) Um, I don't know. Is it stunt casting? Yes, all of it. Yeah, because I guess like Meatloaf and to a certain extent, uh, Alan Cumming and Roger Moore, like those aren't cameos. Those are proper credited roles. And that is stunt casting. Absolutely. And uh, let's let's give it a road trip for Posh Spice's driving, for sure. Oh, yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I'm genuinely surprised there's not more, but I think that's everything I have. Yeah. I mean, I guess unless we wanted to argue perfect date for the concert. But oh, yeah. Even that is maybe a bit of a stretch. Yeah, I think it is. Okay. All right. Uh, no sadly, lines then. No bingo. Boo. <laughs> but also, I forgive you, Spice World, because you're a perfect film otherwise. A perfect film. <laughs> it is. It is. <laughs> I gave it five stars on my letterbox. Oh. Yeah, you did, Bobby. Yeah, you did. <laughs> I am podcasting with lunatics right now. <laughs> <laughs> So if you'd like to get in touch with us <laughs> to, to tell Joe about how good Spice World is specifically, Joe, how do they reach out to you? I can be reached at B Stole My Remote, and that's the letter B. And I'm at Brenna C. Gray. That's gray with an A. Bobby, if listeners want to get in touch with you to talk Spice World more, I presume, uh, how would they do that? Let's go. Um, You can find me, Bobby Torres, with a Z, not an S, on Twitter and Instagram. And Bobby likes to spook you on my YouTube channel. 
Awesome. So if you want to get in touch with the show as a whole, you can find us on the hashtag HKHSPod or at HKHSPod on Twitter. And if you've got something more long form for us, like particularly if you're looking ahead to book club and you're reading All American Boy, um, you're going to want to find us HKHSPod at gmail.com. And Joe, Mm -hmm. you know what we're doing next week, Joe? Uh, it's... (laughs) The Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe! Yeah, I was trying to think of like, oh, what's a a non... (laughs) What's an outro that doesn't address how surprised I am to find out that this is, like, so much more religious than I remembered? (laughs) Yeah, poor Joe didn't realize that Son of Adam was a reference to the Bible. Anyway. (laughs) I mean, I was focusing all my attention on, like, you know, Aslan's resurrection and stuff. I'm like, yeah, that stuff, not the rest of the... Oh, okay. So that'll be a fun one to unpack with Joe. Um, And uh, yeah, until next time, thank you so much, Bobby. You added everything to this episode. (laughs) (laughs) I will see you on the page. And I will see you on the screen. 